passing the test. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would speak to us through the Word of Truth today. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide us, then that You would give us courage to put these things into practice in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Most of us have taken a test at some time or other. In school, we learn the lesson, then we take the test. In life, usually, we take the test, then we learn the lesson. Which would be less painful? Well, obviously, the latter would be less painful because there's nothing worse than taking a test when you're not prepared for it. So I want to give you this morning an easy way to eliminate some of the pain when the test comes. Because there are certainly tests. We want to minimize the pain. Now, in order to enjoy the abundant Christian life in all its fullness, it seems that the biggest test that we would face would be the test of self. Self. Generally speaking, self is more important to us than anything else in the world. That's just the way it is. We feed ourselves, we take care of ourselves. If we're thirsty, we get ourselves something to drink. Self can work for us in terms of what's going on in life and even the next life, or self can work against us because self is immortal. Self is going to always exist in one of two places. So it's very important what we do with self and how we learn to pass the test that come in connection with ourself. Now, when I come to the matter of examining myself by myself, I find that that is a very difficult thing for me to do. It's not simple, and it's not easy. And sometimes others could do a better job of helping me see some things than I even could for myself. Here's the reason for that. Self is not only the accused. Self is the witness, the defense attorney, the judge, and the jury. Now, conscience is the prosecutor, but that's also controlled by self. Somebody said, wait a minute, what about God? I thought he was the judge. Well, God is on the Supreme Court. He is a judge. God the Father accompanied by the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Supreme Court never gets the ruling wrong. This Supreme Court is always right about everything that they rule upon. So to avoid their having to put me on the stand to take this ultimate test of my destination, not only my life here, my eternal destination, In order to avoid that, there's some things we want to consider this morning to be absolutely certain that we would pass the test. Now, self may be all of those things, but there's one thing that self is not. Self is not the law. Self is not the rule or the standard for itself. And if we begin to tell ourselves, tell ourself, that self is the absolute standard in this thing. It's whatever I decide, it's whatever I see, it's whatever I want to do, that can get self into a lot of trouble. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun for a while, 
But then self begins to realize that it has come in bondage to the old self. We know anything about the old self? Yeah, we've said there's a tug of war in the Christian life and there's the new man in Christ and then there's the old self. And that old self is pulling against everything that would want us to go in the right direction. So in order to assist us in really enjoying the abundant Christian life, we want to take a look at self. We want to examine self carefully according to the standard that will never fail. That is the Holy Word of God. Here's our text this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Now, we're going to be told to do two things even in this very first verse. Uh, the very first part of the verse, 5. See if you can recognize the two things that we're told to do. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. You get two things there? Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Those things are kin to each other, but we're going to see a distinction between the two. Then the verse goes on. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Paul and the others who were with him who were ministering to these Corinthians. Now the Corinthians had given Paul some pretty good hits. They criticized his apostleship. They criticized his preaching. They criticized his doctrine, his means of livelihood, his weak appearance in person. But in this verse, Paul turns the tables on them and he says, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. And that's what we want to do this morning. Now, what would be some pictures that we could envision that would help us understand this word examine? How about the war room? Remember Winston Churchill in his underground bunker during the war, during the Battle of Britain, World War II. And there would be decision makers there with him and they would be carefully examining every aspect of the war. They would be looking at geography. They'd be looking at troop movements, concentrations. They would be looking at munitions and supplies and strategy and defeats and victories and every aspect of the war they would be scrutinizing carefully. Well, we're in a spiritual war. So that's going to be important for us to examine our victories and our strengths and our weaknesses where the enemy is going to certainly attack and exploit any weakness that we may have. And I would remind you, many times the enemy attacks at a strong point. He'll take you either way if he can just catch you unawares. Now let's move on to the courtroom. There's the war room. The courtroom self stands to testify. Conscience, the prosecutor, begins to cross-examine self and back and forth. Did you ever lie in bed at night thinking about a situation and conscience was kind of tuned in because maybe there had been something there that was not quite as it should be and self begins to say, well now, 
uh, this is this way, so-and-so and so-and-so, and conscience says, oh yeah, but what if this happens? What if they find out about this? And then self says, oh, that's not going to be any problem. Besides, they would never find out about that. And conscience says, well, now, wait a minute. I don't know. The things, the secret things in darkness will come to the light. And back and forth, sometimes most of the night, we're having this examination. And we're going back and forth in our minds over some situation or something we said or whatever it might be. There's the courtroom. How about the classroom? Mid-semester has come. The student has been there in the class listening to the professor, and the professor wonders, did this guy hear anything that I have said? There is a way to find out. Mid-semester exams. Do they still have those, Woofie, in college? Mid-semester exams? Yeah, I used to hate mid-semester exams. Because there are a lot of things to think about when you're in class besides what the professor's saying. So we always ask the question, is that going to be on the test? And that was the key to just about everything in the classroom. But the one that's most accurate, our picture, I think it's most accurate in the analogy for our verse is probably the showroom. Talked about the war room, the courtroom, the classroom, but now the showroom. A man has gone down to the local dealership to take a look at purchasing a new car. He is carefully examining every detail of the latest model. He wants to know about performance, economy, electronics, standard features, and the extras, warranty, and a host of other questions. This is the idea behind our word examine, perazzo. It means to scrutinize, to examine, to look over everything carefully. Now, what's Paul saying we need to scrutinize? ourselves. We need to scrutinize ourselves just like this guy is scrutinizing all of the possibilities with regard to this new car. Now that word, pirazzo, comes from pira and it carries the idea of to perforate something, to pierce through some substance to test its durability. Examine yourselves. What about our durability in the faith? What about if difficult times come in this land? We're seeing things warming up a good bit now. Examine yourselves, but test yourselves and prove yourselves. Two different things. Examine yourself, but test yourself. Prove yourself. That's another word, dakidmadzo, and it means to test by implication to improve. Now, if we've looked at our new car and we've examined everything carefully, but now we really want to find out if it's worth writing out a check for 35 grand for this automobile. Can you imagine anybody paying that much for a car? Cars are expensive these days. And we really want to find out if we want to part with that money. This new car looks pretty slick. But now we want a test drive, and we want to get behind the wheel, and we want to check out the acceleration and the braking and the turning radius so we know if that thing's going to park downtown in a little tight parking place. And then we want to look at all of the extra features. We're going to listen to the radio and test the imaging devices so you can watch a little screen while you're backing up and you don't uh, crunch the, uh, your son's bicycle or something. 
we want to check out the heated armrest and the fragrance dispensers in the new cars. I haven't seen the new cars lately. But we want to understand the I-key function that recognizes up to four different drivers. And it automatically adjusts the seat, the mirror, the radio settings, the destination on the GPS for each person that gets in. There are a lot of things on new cars today. Then we asked the guy, could we test drive this thing for a week? See how we like it. Now that's the difference in going down to the showroom to look at the car and getting into the car to test it out. We need to look at our lives, see what's there, but then we need to test it out in terms of what's going on on a daily basis. Could we pass the test on a daily basis? Now, many times people in church and many times Christians can give you some real good answers to the test questions. Very good answers. And you would think, wow, man, they know it all. But when the real test comes, by the way, when is the test going to come? For sure. I mean, there are going to be tests all the time, but the big one, I think, probably is when you go off to college, if you do. Would you say that might be accurate? Because there, you're going to get a different world view in all likelihood. And so you get there and you really get a test then to see. And some people who are solid in the faith pass the test, and that's good. Now I'm driving my car around during the week. Hey, I think I like it. You know, every time a ship is built, that ship is taken for a shakedown cruise, sea trials. And before they put any passengers on it or cargo, they take that thing out and they put it under simulated work conditions. And that's how we want to test ourselves. Sometimes parents can help us if I'm a young person testing myself. Well, what about my attitude? Well, what about the things that come out of my mouth? They come right from my heart. Uh, what about a lot of questions, some things we'll look at? Now, the next phase here. <clears throat> Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. How am I doing on an everyday basis? Examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. We're adding that phrase there. What's this examination designed to determine? Charles Spurgeon helps us with that. He says, and I quote, The question is not whether you believe the truth. The question is whether you are in the truth. End of quote. If I'm flying on an airplane and something goes wrong with the plane and the plane is going to crash, but I have opportunity to do something about it and I look up in the rack above me and I see what looks like a parachute and I say to myself, I believe that's a parachute. Will that get the job done? But see, that's the way a lot of people approach Jesus. Oh, we believe, I believe in Jesus. I started believing in Him when I was a little child. Oh yes, but the only thing that's going to save you is if you get into the harness of the chute and you step out the door of the plane that's spiraling down and you trust your life to the parachute. Same thing with Christ. It's not just believing that there is a Jesus or that He died on the cross. It's am I in Christ? Have I trusted my life to Him? Have I bailed out, so to speak, of all of these other things that people lean on today and am I trusting in Christ? That's what our Word is talking about. Here's the next phrase. 
Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? I'm going right through that verse that probably you have open in your Bible. What do you recognize about yourself? There are many, many things that we know about ourselves because we have a constant and continual evaluation of ourselves. I dare say people are evaluating themselves right now as they listen or maybe as they're thinking about something else that's out there and how does that relate to me. I'm not saying that that's wrong. That's probably a pretty good idea. People even write books about themselves. But the question is, does the knowledge that I have about myself count against the backdrop of eternity? And does it count for the life that I'm living today? Because we're talking about the abundant Christian life. You may know people who are Christians, but they're living an unhappy life at best. The abundant life just seems to be an elusive thing. It's not out there. And maybe they have salvation, but that's about as far as it will get. We'll talk about that too. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you unless indeed you failed the test? And here's what we better know. Now is the only time guaranteed to pass the test. Because people slip out of this world every day on the highways of Texas, all over the place, strange things happen, and somebody is gone. Too late to examine yourself and pass the test. Because at that time, uh, the Supreme Court takes over, and you stand before the righteous judge, and things are already determined at that time. Now, if you're a businessman, you know that accounting is the backbone of your business. Mark didn't pay me a commission to say that. But uh, yet, that's what it is if you're a businessman. You have got to know the net worth of your business. You've got to have a balance sheet. You've got to have a profit-loss statement. And all of those numbers come together to determine what your financial condition is. And if you fumble the ball in accounting, that could be a very bad thing in business. The IRS has an interest in your business. And you can't just say to the IRS, hey, we had a pretty good year this year. I'm sending you a check for 150 bucks. You're welcome. They're not buying that. They want to know the details of everything. Well, not only that, but in the business itself, unless you have an accurate assessment of what's happening in the business, you won't know where things are going up or going down. And the only way you know they're going down is when you have a check that bounces because you're not reconciling the bank statements, you're not looking at the profit loss sheet, you're not doing any of that stuff, you don't even have that. So that's what we're talking about. In life, we don't think there's anything to it. Certainly, we've got to have accounting in life. If you're a physician, a doctor, you have somebody who's responsible for the medicine cabinet. They probably don't call it that at the hospital. But somebody's going to stock that thing with the pills and potions that the doctor needs to make people well. And somebody else is going to be in charge of the autoclave and all the instruments to be sure everything is sterilized and sorted and arranged for the next procedure that's coming up. That's the doctor. He has to take account of a lot of things. And it's a matter of life and death. Now, if you are a businessman in the auto parts business, 
like I used to be a long time ago, then you've got to keep up with every single little part in that entire business. Thousands and thousands of parts, some of which are that big, but very important. Back in those days, we didn't have computers, but we had a huge card desk. And we had a card for every part in the whole building. And there were a lot of parts. And you had to find out once a year, more often sometimes, if the number of spark plugs on that car was actually the number of spark plugs that were on the shelf. Oh, when computers came along, that really changed a lot of things. But once a year, you had to count every part in the building. Then you had to write it down in a huge book that had the price. Then you had to extend that, add it all up, and you could find out the net worth of your inventory. Now, if you didn't do that, you just didn't know. Well, we're talking about a spiritual accounting in all walks of life people study and they check up and they scrutinize and they count and they do all these things in their daily endeavors sometimes people even go to a doctor to get a physical checkup because they want to know the condition of their health now for the believer to live this abundant christian life we're suggesting that it's time for a spiritual checkup and if you're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, that is mandatory, according to Paul. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 11:28. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. And then there's some reasons why that needs to happen that Paul gives. The Old Testament, Psalm 26, verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Test my mind and my heart. So whether you are a housewife or a businessman, you know that certain things have to be in order in your home or your office so that you can conduct your endeavors in a way that's going to be profitable, in a way that's going to get the job done. If you're a Christian, do you know what questions you need to be asking yourself? I'm going to give you some questions this morning. And you can add to the list some questions that relate to you as an individual. Now, this is not a to-do list where you post it up on the wall and every day, let's see, have I done this and this and this? And Christianity is not supposed to be that kind of grind. We're supposed to be doing some things out of a heart of love for Christ. Because of what He has given us, we serve Him. And if we love Him, we've learned we obey His commandments. Now, everybody has a birthday. Does everybody in here have a birthday? Does everybody know the date of their birthday? Most of us do, but some people don't. Does that mean they don't have a birthday? Why no? We know that there's a day they were born. How do we know? They exist. They're there. You're looking at them. You know, you can tell if somebody is physically alive. Look at the person next to you and see if you think that person is alive physically. They're probably breathing. They have a pulse rate if you could take the pulse. Hopefully their eyes are open and they're functioning. It's easy to tell. Well, you can also tell if a person has had a spiritual birthday. You may not know the date of that spiritual birthday. Sometimes it seems to come as kind of a process. But that doesn't matter any more than if you knew the date of your physical birthday. You can still tell if a person 
is alive spiritually? How would you tell? As you examined a person, how could you tell if he were alive spiritually? Will it be certain things in evidence in his life? There would be a number of evidences according to the Scripture. There'd be some love and some joy and some peace and some wholesome talk that comes out of my mouth and some honoring my parents. and Oh, there'd be all kinds of things by which you could get an idea. Now, if somebody's in a slump, a spiritual slump, we call it backsliding, you might not be able to see all those things that you would like to see. But if a person is truly a Christian and they're going to live in a slump, they're going to be coming back up, recognizing as they examine themselves. That's what we're talking about for this morning. Scripture is very clear about the importance of examining yourself. Lamentations, a book that we don't normally quote, but listen to this, verse 39, chapter 3. Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? That's a good question, isn't it? Because the punishment for his sin might keep him out of hell later on. Why should any living man complain when punished for his sins? Next verse, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Now, according to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus speaking, not everybody who professes belief in Christ is actually a Christian. In fact, Wednesday night, uh, we wish you could be here on Wednesday night. We're going through a course on spiritual growth by R.C. Sproul, and it's really good. And this past Wednesday night, he said there are four categories of people. There are people who are unsaved and know that they are unsaved. They are strangers to the promise and separated from the life of Christ and they they don't care about religious things. In fact, they don't even believe that there is a God perhaps. Or if they do believe there's a God, they don't think it has much relevance in their own lives. People who are unsaved and they know they're unsaved. Now, there are people who are saved and they know they're saved. And I hope that that would be most of you who have an assurance of salvation. You would really need to have that if you were going to live an abundant Christian life, would you not? But then there are people who are saved, listen, but they don't know that they're saved. At least they don't have the assurance that they're saved. That would be a difficult place to be in. Because that's the kind of thing where you lie at night wondering, now, if Christ returned today, now, what if I, what if I died tonight? Am I really on the team? So that's a kind of a precarious one. The last one is those who think they are saved but are not. And that's the one Jesus addressed in Matthew 7. Now, number four would be the most dangerous, wouldn't it? People who think they're saved but they're not saved. We've got to do something to help those people. Maybe you're convinced of your salvation, you're assured, and it's no problem, but you're going to meet some people who think they're saved, but who are not saved. That's a dangerous position in which to find yourself. So what can we do? Well, we can give them the word of truth right out of the Scripture. Only God can regenerate the heart. And how can you know which category that we're in because the New Testament tells us the wheat and the tares grow 
together. And ever since the very beginning of time, it's not been real easy to determine who's on the team and who's not. Sometimes something comes along that helps you know. Adam in his family church had three people at one time. His wife, his son, and himself. But Cain proved to be unsaved. A wicked man killed his brother. And you can go right on down through when the church was on board the ark. There were eight people there. But at least one ham didn't appear to be on the team and later had a curse on his life. In Abraham's church, there was Ishmael. And in Jacob's church, uh, Isaac's church, there was Esau, Jacob being his brother. They were in the same church together, but Esau went one way and Jacob went another. Could that same thing be true in families today? That everybody's going to church, everybody's in the family church there, but some people are headed one way and some people headed another. The Word of Truth says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Now, we live in an age of spiritual privilege. Sermons are preached. Bibles are bought. Tracts are printed. All kinds of websites and programs on the Internet. You can just about hear anybody you want to hear, even men that are already dead in heaven. You can just tune them in. If that's your favorite pastor, he's already gone. You can listen to him every day on the Internet. But at the same time, we live in an age of spiritual danger. We see outward professors of religion in some churches that don't even believe the basic tenets of the faith. We see congregations, denominations made up of unconverted people and people who don't follow the teachings of Scripture. We see homes where Christ is not honored, where there are emotional appeals to stimulate others, even churches, listeners. Ridicule of Christian values. Removal of Christianity and God from everything that's going on in the culture. So it's a dangerous time. How are we affected by all of this? Now, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, writing in 1878, includes a chapter in his book on self-inquiry. This is his little book, Practical Religion, and it is really a good book. He shoots pretty straight. He has many things going on in his day that we have going on today. But he talks about some questions that prompt self-examination. And I've got a list of the questions here. And uh, Wolfie, let me just uh, get you to help me give these out. Maybe Stephen can help you there, and we'll be talking a little bit while you're giving them. Now, remember that uh, this is not a to-do list. I'll give one to Wayne up on the front. It's not a to-do list. It's an exam. And when you take an exam, usually you mark the answers there, and then you turn in your paper. Well, you don't have to turn in the paper because this test is for you. So we will take a look at some of those questions and see. I'm not going to go over the whole list right now in deference to time. This was written in 1878. Could you believe? Now, there is one thing before you start taking your test, and that's the question. Have you developed the habit of spiritual reflection? That's where, occasionally, you would sit down, hopefully sooner than later, 
more often, you would sit down and you would think earnestly about the condition of your soul. How about that very first one? Do I ever think about the condition of my soul? Do you know when most people think about the condition of their soul? Some momentary fear of death. They see it in a movie that's particularly moving. They go to a funeral. They hear the news. Somebody was killed in an automobile. And that's about the only time that they think about death. So you can go through the list there. As you come down to number five, have I truly experienced conversion? Evidences. Here's some of those evidences. Do I have a sense of sin and a deep hatred for it? Or do you want to do like many people that I've known, being a teacher in high school, do you want to see just how close to sin you can get without falling over the edge? Well, it's okay for me to do that. There's no sin in that. Yeah, but if you're running with a bunch of people who are in sin, who are doing that, it probably won't be too long. Is sin fun? Oh, it's a lot of fun until you see the price tag later on. Well, look at number five there. Sense of sin, deep hatred for it, faith in Christ, love for Him, delight in holiness, longing for more of it. Ooh, sometimes that's a bad word in our society, holiness. Love of God's people. What about this? Distaste for things of the world system. I'm not talking about the cosmos. And I've got their foul language because that's what many professors fall into. Foul language. Just language that certainly wouldn't be edifying. Well, let's move on. Now, why should we take the test? Why not just cut class today? Forget about the test. So I want to leave you with a summary of reasons. This would be uh, reasons to examine yourself. Reasons to examine yourself. And this will kind of summarize some of the things that we have been talking about here. Uh, the first reason to examine yourself is it's commanded in Scripture. It's commanded in Scripture because when the Holy Spirit was inspiring the Apostle Paul to write these things down in Scripture, the Holy Spirit knew human nature. The Holy Spirit, as part of the Godhead, created humans. And He certainly understands our nature even better than we do. So this self-knowledge, this examining ourselves is very important. And you don't have to worry about being like Alexander the Great, who is said to have sat down and wept because he had no more territory to conquer. In this Christian life, you'll always have some challenges to conquer out there. So this is a lifelong thing that we're talking about. Well, self-knowledge is excellent preparation for spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. We're not in the war room in London. We're in a war that goes right along with us. Goes with us to church. Goes with us to home, whatever we're doing. And the battle is in our mind right now. The enemy wouldn't want you to hear or at least understand any of that, what I'm saying because there's a battle going on. He wants to take your thoughts and send them somewhere else. Self-knowledge is probably the most necessary of all knowledge. And we're saying self-knowledge is preparation for spiritual warfare. An ancient Chinese warrior wrote these words. In order to wage successful warfare, he said, if you know yourself 
and know the enemy, you need not fear the outcome of a hundred battles. If you know yourself and know the enemy. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victor gained, victory gained, you'll also suffer defeat. If you know neither yourself nor the enemy, you'll be defeated every time. Now, we may not know too much about the enemy. We've got a lot in the Bible. But you may not know as much about the enemy because you haven't studied as much of the Bible as you have yourself, as you know about yourself. And it's self that we're talking about today. We talk about the enemy a good bit, but it's self we're thinking about. Now, here's, uh, excuse me, that'd be reason number two. And here's reason number three. We want to examine ourselves because of the danger of self-deception. What is that? Self-deception. Well, self-deception is probably the most prevalent kind of deception in the world today. People deceive themselves all the time. That's the reason God said you can't trust your own heart. The heart is deceitful. It's so wicked. Who can know his own heart? Now, where do you think self-deception originates? I can tell you. And you can see it all through the Bible. Self-deception originates in the heart. Listen to this. Here's Obadiah writing about the Edomites. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And then it goes on to comment on that in Proverbs 29-23. That's the home of deception, pride in the heart. Here's the verse. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And that's the reason Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no one deceive himself. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool, quote, fool, so that he may become wise. That means he's willing to be regarded as a fool because he believes in Christ and he believes what the Bible says. Well, this business of self-deception begs the question, what do I need to know about myself? For many, it might be the hope of some satisfaction that would favorably contrast me with others and gratify my pride, make me look better. Well, that guy made only 72 on the test. He barely passed. I made 98. I must be smarter than he. Well, be careful with those kind of things. Uh, number four, self-deception, lack of knowledge of yourself, undermines... The peace that passes understanding. Undermines peace that passes understanding. If you have not really examined yourself, and there are some attitudes, there are some values maybe, there's some things going on in your life, you're not going to have the abundant Christian life, I can assure you. Oh, you may have some fun, and the world may have a lot of good things to offer for a period of time, but then later on when the test scores come in, doubt undermines the peace. Let's, let's put this word out here. Doubt. You remember that verse in James? It says, the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man shall not think he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, <clears throat> unstable in all he does. Well, here's the next one. We've got three more. Self-examination is profitable and advisable in every other aspect of life. Self-examination, profitable and advisable. We do it in everything else. We probably ought to do it in our spiritual life as well. Profitable and advisable. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-three: Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Assurance of one's standing before God will facilitate serving God. Let me put that one up here where we can see it. Assurance of your standing before God facilitates serving God. You want to serve God effectively? You got to get this nailed down. And the last one, uh, number seven self knowledge is attainable, it can be done. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can examine ourselves. Self knowledge is attainable. Now, if we're in the dark, really, about eternal life, well, that's a very important matter. But we don't want to be confused about the abundant life. We want to be able to live that abundant life that God has offered to us. So this truthful self-knowledge comes from evaluating ourselves in the light of Scripture. And you have some questions there that would help you in doing that. And remember... Prayer is a very necessary ingredient in this business of examining yourself. If you're not certain of your conversion when you were a child, or you're just not sure and it doesn't look like things are meshing as they should in this spiritual life, then that's no problem. Uh, We're not worried about what you did when you were nine years old. It's today that counts. And today, you can get down on your knees and you can say, Lord, I want to be sure about my relationship with you. I want there to be the evidence of this salvation in my life. I want people to look at me and see Christ and the things that come out of my mouth to sound like what Jesus would say. Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you take control of my life? Would you make me the person that you want me to be? Through the years on all kinds of guys who came back and said, hey, guess what, Mr. Welch, I became a Christian. Why, you became a Christian? You were leading the youth group, witnessing everybody? Oh yeah, but I didn't really have it back then. I was just going through the motions. Well, if you're here today and you're thinking you've been going through some motions, it wasn't really real, today's the day. This afternoon, maybe. Go through your list, pray through that list and say, Lord, if I'm missing it in some area, What's coming out of my mouth, maybe? The attitude of my heart. Help me to see it. Let's pray.
Lord, we do want to enjoy this abundant Christian life that's available even though we go through sorrow and heartache. Uh, we can be sorrowful yet rejoicing, we see in the Scripture. Rejoicing because we have the ultimate solution to all the things that come in our lives. Your grace. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us faith as a gift. But we thank you that we have the opportunity to help build that faith. We know that anything good that happens is all of grace. But you have told us to study, to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who do not need to be ashamed. So I would pray that uh, you would help us in this process of self-examination, help us to be honest with ourselves and forthright. Uh, We pray that you would send the searchlight of your Spirit in our hearts and help us to see things there as they really are. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.